More broccoli? Hello and welcome, you're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Kyle, we're back talking minions, and we're not talking Illumination Guru minions. We're talking about Disney minions. Yeah, we've narrowed it down. We're, we've reached our Elite Eight, and we've done that with the help of Kara. Welcome back this week, Kara. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I think that you you brought a lot of really great points last episode that shocked me, shocked our audience, and I think that that it's exactly what we want. We want the hot takes here on Mouse Madness. I'm always here to bring them, you know, and as a big fan of the podcast, I'm so um, grateful to be able to give my opinions. Hey, all opinions are welcome here on Mouse Madness Podcast. And of course, we've got our spoonfuls of sugar working. As always, Kyle, what's in your cup tonight? Chris, I had a lot of fun last week uh, recording part one, so I just ran it back. I wanted to keep the good vibes going, so I have yet another mimosa, but I'm going to call it a villamosa. Ooh. Yeah, switch it up just slightly. Ooh. What are you, what are you drinking? Well, if fans of the show listened to our best Disney thing of the decades bracket, I had a food item as my forkful of sugar, and I got another forkful Tonight, oh. I've got a Toy Story Land grilled cheese sandwich, <laughs> something that Disney did that's really cool during this whole shutdown thing is they've been publishing recipes from Disney parks on their Twitter accounts, on their blogs. So I went ahead and I cooked up the grilled cheese sandwich they serve in Toy Story Land, and it is like next level delicious. Ooh. I'm a huge cheese guy. I'm not going to lie. Love me some cheese. Big mm-hmm. pizza guy. Big lasagna guy, big big CD guy. So this grilled cheese is hitting next level. It's got provolone, it's got cheddar, and in the middle is this heavy cream, cream cheese, Gloucester cheese concoction that's like a spread. And the whole thing, instead of butter, like a normal grilled cheese is coated with, it's this like garlic mayo spread. Oh my God, y'all wow. gotta get on this. Toy Story Land grilled cheese. It's crazy. And I've got a pinstripe pilsner, as always, to help me wash it down. So, Kara, what have you got in your spoonful of sugar? You know, I am running it back with my Briar Rosé mm. and Play on Sleeping Beauty. Um, and, yeah, I have to say that Sleeping Beauty was always the character I related to the most because I have a hard time getting out of bed in the morning. Let's get into our Elite Eight. Our first matchup is... The number one seed, Flotsam and Jetsam, versus the number nine seed, LaFu. So let's break this down. Number one, Flotsam and Jetsam. We already brought this up a lot last time. They are great spies. Of this Elite Eight, probably the creepiest uh, group of of minions here. Um, they, they're, they're straight up hunters of souls, guys. They are like... You go through and and you see Ursula's like cavern and she has all of those jars of souls. Like it's never explicitly said that Flotsam and Jetsam have gathered 
all these people and brought them to Ursula, but it's like you can kind of assume that they've been doing some work on the soul catching uh, side of things. They're they're useful as a tool, as an instrument, because when they combine their glowing eyes, they become a crystal ball, which uh, Ursula can see what's happening. Um, they're they're just they they follow orders. They make game time decisions to make sure that whatever their goal is, it is reached. And I mean, at the very end, they're not they're not great fighters. They get pretty punked by Sebastian and Flounder at the end, who are so like, punked. Who are like weak characters they literally just stand there and like they get pinched and fin slapped so like fighting is not their strong suit they're more of like the the conniving like sleek under the radar spy kind of minions than they are like the brass bronze muscles of like a big baby type right um so they're kind of in their own little their own little world there lefou we brought up is kind of this like loyal bumbling dude who is just is a a really good hype man for Gaston um he carries out some plans but he's also not very good at it um I still don't like (laughs) a random thought that I have in in just in life and in the world is I'm like going I'm I'm cooking up breakfast maybe one day and a thought will pop in my head how did LeFou plan this musical number I will never understand how on board everyone was and how they did it in the live action, which I still stand by is the better uh, version of the guest of Gaston song is in the live action version, how they like portray him, like queuing up everyone around the tavern is phenomenal because it's like everyone has their parts and they're supposed to remember it. And he's going around like nudging or paying people to like join in it's it just like the live action makes him a little bit more thoughtful and like with more intent than maybe the animated one does but we're really kind of focusing on the animated one here um i just don't like in this matchup as like a villain character and like gaston i guess gaston's interesting as a villain because he's like not necessarily intimidating he's just like a big bully right so like does his minion have to be intimidating, which is something that I give points to in my own personal scale of like, are they a good minion? Are they as intimidating as like their villain and able to like strike fear in whoever the protagonist is? Like maybe that doesn't necessarily have to apply here. Like it does for Flotsam and Jetsam. Um, ah, this is tough here because I think that they're both just so loyal to their Here's what I'm going to do, Chris. I've Here it is. Here's what it comes down to. While LeFou is like bumbling and kind of like just dumb, and Flotsam and Jetsam are not. They're very like skilled and cunning, and they, they make sure that plans happen. At the end of both movies, the villain's plans kind of fall apart. But you know what's one thing that stands apart? It's that LeFou fights these furniture items and does not give up until he has to like what run away while flotsam and jetsam get punked by the worst characters flounder and sebastian when they're supposed to be these like evil scary like oh we're so like we're so evil that you don't even want to like mess with us they're so intimidating and lefou's not and lefou put up a valiant effort and flotsam and jetsam didn't so like 
at the end of the day, like, how hard were they fighting for their master, for their villain? Like, not very, <laughs> not very at all. While LeFou was giving it his all. I'm moving LeFou here in an upset. Let's have some chaos going to you, Chris. Let's go back to the seven eye skill. So for those of you that missed the first episode, we have seven eye words that describe these villains. It's a sliding scale. It's imbecile, idiotic, incompetent, ineffective, instrumental, independent, and Kara inserted iconic into that mixture as well. To me, Flotsam and Jetsam and LeFou, they are both in that instrumental realm where neither of them really screw things up too badly. So it's a little bit of a tough matchup. Last episode, I talked about how LeFou never really gets a chance to fail big. And I think that's where it's going to come back to bite him when we're talking about these two. Now, I know I talked about like, who is the more enjoyable one to watch on screen in the first round last episode as well. And Gaston's one of my favorite songs. Love that LeFou incited that whole number. But, you know, we're getting deeper in the bracket. We got to get down to the nitty gritty here. So if we're talking about big plays, Flotsam and Jetsam has the bigger play and kiss the girl when they flip the boat. They are the ones who initially like lure Ariel into Ursula's grotto where they are like, I know you're having a hard time right now, but you know who can make things better? The sea witch, Ursula. She's got your back. She won't let you down. So, you know, Flotsam and Jetsam have a couple of big plays. So also character design, like Kara said, and you said, Kyle, last episode, extremely scary. When all said and done, I think if we're talking about the better minion here, gotta be Flotsam and Jetsam. So that means we're going to a tiebreaker, Kara. Um, I have to agree with Christopher because Flotsam and Jetsam, to me, when you think minion, you think like little creepy thing following someone else. And that, to me, essentially is what they are. And they were scary, and they were loyal, and they were devoted, and they just, they did whatever Ursula wanted them to. Because a minion is not a villain, you know? To be a villain, you're really evil. They maybe weren't evil, but they were followers. And I I just think they, like, when I think of the Disney franchise and when I think of minions, that they definitely pop up in my mind. The creepy little eels, you know? All right, well, the one seed moves on, so can we make it another bracket where the one seed takes the championship here? Flotsam and Jetsam moving to the final four. Let's move on down to the next matchup. We've got number four, Kronk, versus number 12, Big Baby. Now, it seems like every bracket, we have one of those entrants that is kind of like our little Cinderella story, our little darling, who we kind of underappreciated coming in and found a new appreciation for as we went along. And Big Baby to me is that in this bracket. I mean, this is a top tier minion, in my opinion. But they're going up against Kronk, who, as we said before, so memorable and so beloved by so many. But let's let's dig a little bit deeper. Let's talk about how good of minions these two actually are. 
Big Baby, like LeFou, doesn't really have a whole lot to do. All Big Baby does for most of the movie is like watch the door. Big Baby can open doors, which in the Toy Story franchise is something that's very difficult for Huge. people to do. So it's a, <laughs> it's a quality I, trait that like you puts know? you above basically everybody else. Yeah, Big Baby opens doors. I mean, that's like <laughs> super clutch. But for how clutch that is, I feel like Lotso could get by without Big Baby. Yzma would be totally lost without Kronk. Yes, Kronk messes up most things, but nothing would be put in place without Kronk. He's the one who suggests that Yzma take control of the Empire. He's the one who is carrying Yzma literally on his back when they're venturing around the kingdom trying to find Cusco. And, I mean, just icing on the cake, more enjoyable to watch. Both of these, super enjoyable. You mentioned the scene last episode where Big Baby's looking at the moon, super funny. But here's what kills it for me for Big Baby. No matter how much I love this character, how much I think it's underrated, I was so mad when I saw Toy Story 4. And they double-dipped. They double-dipped, Kyle. They had that character named Benson? Yeah. Pinkston or whatever? Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Pretty much the same character as Big Baby. Like big, silent, silly, goofy, but also scary minion, henchman, whatever you want to call it. And I was like, I remember in real time in the theater thinking, you just ruined Big Baby. You just ruined this character that was so good in the last movie and you just made like a carbon copy with just a different outfit. So I was really mad about that. And in a way, I think that kind of like undermines the lasting appeal of Big Baby. So, you know, I think I'm going with Kronk here. I don't think that Benson and like his little crew of dummies brought down Big Baby's impact because you didn't explore Benson very much or any of those dummies. I think, yeah, the premise is kind of the same where there are these like dolls that are nonverbal and and are kind of the muscle but like what sets big baby apart and what they did a good job of is like these dummies can't have like personalities because the personality is given to them by whoever's making them like perform a ventriloquist while big baby is presumably like one of those uh crybaby doll things where you like you feed them and they cry whatever um and has his own her own personality and you see that and and we get to dive in further into big baby's backstory obviously than the the benson group in toy story 4 so i don't know that it really diminishes big baby's quality especially because toy story 4 in general is a fairly forgettable film besides like the introduction of forky which i think is a i love forky so if, if there's anything for Toy Story 4, it's that Forky was brought into our lives and his short is probably the greatest Disney Plus original that's on there. But uh, Big Baby vs. Kronk, like, the thing that makes Big Baby so intimidating and such a good minion is, like, unpredictability. Big Baby is, some, is a character that can't talk, uh, it, just a lot of grunts and baby noises, but like babies, very unpredictable, right? And sure, like, Big Baby a lot of times just watches the door, but is also the muscle out here just, like, snatching up toys, putting them in the sandbox. Like, essentially, like, 
executing torture tactics with these toys. Big Baby's there. Big Baby's the one that's doing it. Kronk is very loyal to Yzma. He does have these kind of like self-inflection, like self-reflection moments with the angel and the devil where it he has to kind of decide, is he going to be loyal to Yzma because he doesn't necessarily agree with what she's doing, but in the end he does it anyways, which is great because he, as Minion, should be loyal to this villain. But in this matchup, like, Big Baby's so successful at being a minion, essentially to the very end, when he betrays Lotso. He's there for Lotso. He's out here capturing toys. He's making moves happen. Kronk is also making moves happen, but like we don't have Emperor's New Groove if Kronk just didn't mess up the very first thing that he had, which was poisoning Cusco. And he messed that up from the beginning. Oh, yes, the poison, the poison for Cusco. <laughs> the poison designed specifically to kill Cusco. Cusco's poison. Oh, I can feel it. Um, yeah, it's just I Kronk is such a great character, but like I I just can't move him on here past Big Baby. I think Big Baby, like yeah, Cinderella's story, but like is just the better minion in my opinion. Just much better. So Kara, we're back to you. Who you got? I'm just going to be frank. I can't not move Kronk forward. I think that he is the definition of a classic Disney minion. And even like you even see him have that internal battle with himself with like, is what I'm doing? Is what I'm doing the ethical thing? Is it not? And he always goes towards Yzma, which is his villain. And he's so loyal. Oh, yeah. Not only that, he's he's funny, and I just think like he's such an a classic, iconic character that like we have to move him forward. I I can't lose him at this. While you made very good points and arguments, I can't lose him at this point. Chris, we have a new uh, champion of the word iconic Hey-o. on this podcast, and it's no. I mean, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think Kronk is really representative of the minion genre. And while he's ineffective, most of the minions on this bracket are ineffective. So it's like... So then, yeah. But then, yeah, they're not the best. They're not the minions best Minions in general aren't the best. So, like, should the one who wins this be ineffective or not effective? Because it, which one's truer to the genre? I mean, Big Baby is ineffective at the very end. But hangs through. I don't know. It's All total right. betrayal, though. Big Baby totally betrays Lotso. Yeah, because Big Baby has a personality and realizes that Lotso's been playing Big Baby. Are minions supposed to have a personality? I don't think so. We're, As right. Kara says, plain bagels. Plain bagels. Minions are plain bagels. There's no, I don't know about no, that. There's no spike. Let's hop over to the other side where we have number two Iago versus number 10 Anastasia and Drizella. I can't back down. Stepsisters are not minions in my mind. They're just not. I get, I understand the like plain bagel argument, but I think that in order to be a minion, you need to be in on the plan. Otherwise, you're solely just an instrument, which isn't on your scale, Chris, but I think that those instruments also are in on the plan. And I don't think that Anastasia and Drizella are in on the plan at all. I think that they're they're bullies and think they're better than Cinderella and they will act as such and belittle her. But I don't think it's to like 
what like what truly is the main goal of Lady Tremaine? It's it's to like keep her Cinderella like away and down so that Lady Tremaine can stay in the power of this family, I guess. She is materialistic, so she married Cinderella's dad right. and she inherited all of his money. Right. So her next step is getting her children to marry Prince Charming. Right. Yes, exactly. And and she knows Cinderella is beautiful and doesn't want her to marry Prince Charming. Right. So I almost see the stepsisters more as pawns. And I don't think that you can be a pawn and be a minion at the same time. I th- yeah. I, st- I still just believe that like as a minion, you need to be in on the plan, all fighting for one goal, even if it means that like Lady Tremaine throws, uh, uses them kind of robotically. I still think that like they need to be in on the plan. So I by default, I have to move Iago along here. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that. And it's really unfortunate because Best Villains was one of the first brackets that we did. And studying these two is making me realize how good of a villain Lady Tremaine is. And if I remember correct, she had a tough matchup in the first round and just kind of barely lost as it was. But right. um yeah, I, I agree that these two are pawns and they don't have a lot of agency and the minion should supply some like willful contribution to executing the plot. And while they do help execute the plot, they didn't really know that they did. So right. I, I, I think I'm going to come around to your argument here. And, uh, you know, I, I said last episode how much I like Iago and we can talk about that next round maybe, but... I agree. I think I'm going Iago here to the final four. Kara, what do you think about that? I agree. I think the stepsisters were a little complacent. I moved them through the, the last round because I thought that they were the better minions in the category. But as of now, I don't think they were as integral in the plan as Iago was. So I will agree. All right. So we've got one, two, and four so far making their way to the final <laughs> four. So... Can three get in there? I don't know. We'll see. We've got number three, Shenzi, Banzai, and Ed versus number six, Locke, Shock, and Barrel. So we kind of very quickly advanced Locke, Shock, and Barrel last episode. So I'm going to dig into some of the things that I really like about these three. We haven't really talked a whole lot about Nightmare Before Christmas on this podcast. It's just, it's a touchstone picture. So it's kind of like very hazily in the disney universe but it's on disney plus it's got uh presence in the disney parks around the holiday season so uh, i think it's about time we give this movie some credit and this is one i have not revisited until very recently i loved this movie when i was like 11 12 13 years old all right i grew up in a small town i was a little bit um resistant to a lot of the attitudes that existed there. I'm I'm just going to call a spade a spade. I was an emo kid, all right, in like (laughs) early high school years. And Nightmare Before Christmas really resonated with me. It's a very strange, very strange movie. The characters are so weird. The concept is so weird. It's more artsy than a lot of people give it credit for. And I was very taken with it. So I watched this movie on a loop when I was like, that age and i kind of like left it in the past a little bit uh, as i went more mainstream in my personality but uh, i went back and reviewed it for this episode and man this movie is amazing 
I would love to do like a deep dive on Nightmare Before Christmas next holiday season, but it is fantastic. And one of the things I remember loving about this movie was Lock, Shock, and Barrel. I don't remember why I love these three, but I just remember being very like intrigued by them as characters at that age. And so I went through and I watched it and I was looking for them specifically. And there's so much to like about these three. They have a pretty solid character. They're mischievous. They are a little bit independent, which last episode I said that might be kind of a bad thing, but Shenzi, Banzai, and Ed are independent in their own right. One thing that's interesting about Lock, Shock, and Barrel is that they kind of walk the line. They are on that fence between serving Oogie, Boogie, and serving Jack. They live in this treehouse where Oogie Boogie lives like in the basement or in the roots of it. And Jack calls upon them to help execute his plot in kidnapping Sandy Claus. They even sing a song about it, which I believe they are the only minions on this bracket who have their own song. Yep, I have that too. (laughs) Yeah, and it's a great song. And I mean, that's part of the reason why I think this is a great movie, like for them to have their own song, like and for it to set aside some time to like explore these really minor characters. It's bold and it's great. Um, we talked about the Easter bunny scene last episode, which I think is hilarious. But, uh, one thing I think that is even funnier is when they do kidnap Sandy Claus and he's, and they're, they're taking him to Oogie Boogie's and Santa says something like, haven't you heard of peace on haven't you heard of peace on earth or goodwill towards men and they're like no (laughs) so funny so uh yeah they have their own value system they live by their own rules they're kind of playing both sides of the fence so i don't know how loyal of a minion they are to oogie boogie or how loyal of a sidekick they are to jack after all at the very end of the movie they're the ones who like lead the mayor to find jack and rescue him they kind of have like a face turn at the end of the movie. But then again, so does Kronk. Um, I, I'm not so sure that it's exactly a bad thing, but um, I'm going with the enjoyability argument on this one. These characters are scene stealers. They're well-developed. They're fleshed out. They have a tiny arc. They sing a song. I, I, I think I like them here over Shenzi, Banzai, and Ed. I'm going opposite. I'm going the hyenas. And I think that the hyenas are, on your scale, the more, they're certainly the more iconic minions of basically, I may arguably this final four. I think it's great that this hyena group is led by a powerful female leader. Shenzi is like the, she's the one that keeps everyone in check and not just bonsai and ed but like the entire hyena pack like she's the leader of all of them they're intimidating their laugh is maniacal which adds to their like what 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 are they going to do next like you they're kind of unpredictable just as the kids are lock shock and barrel but i just think that the the hyenas are a little bit more creeper in that sense they're certainly like independent but only kind of because they what they want is food and you hear that and be prepared and you hear that in everything that bonsai and everyone says um 
you hear that they're food motivated, but what they do is they know that Scar has promised them this food, so they're going to be loyal to Scar and help him achieve what he needs to achieve, which is the throne, in order to be rewarded with the food, which is ultimately what they end up getting until they, like, overeat and and deplete the Pride Land. Fun facts here for me. Um, Shenzi in Swahili is uncouth, savage, and barbarous which is great for her, right? Like she's she's kind of the more like aggressive one and and keeps everyone in check to achieve these kind of aggressive like maniacal plans that Scar has put into place. Without the hyenas, the the entire wildebeest stampede doesn't happen. I mean, yeah, you can like true. Scar could Scar could not do that by himself. And he Dude, knew but that. Lock, Shock, and Barrel kidnap Sandy Claus. Sure, yeah, no, 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 absolutely. I, yeah, they, there's two sides to both of these coins, but I think that, um, <laughs> like, the bigger part that the hyenas play is just so much imp- more important to not only the film, but, like, the success of Scar than Lock, Shock, and Barrel was. I mean, Lock, Shock, and Barrel needed to do one thing, and they did it, and then they got Sandy Claus, and that was, sure, absolutely, but, like, the key roles that, the hyenas play and like their hatred towards the lions and them teaming up with the lion is just so well done and, and built out for this, for this movie. Um, Banzai's name in Swahili means to skulk or lurk, which is also great because he's kind of like the more, (laughs) he's definitely like hot headed. He's ruthless. He's very like him and Ed fight a lot. And Shenzi, as the leader, is the one that keeps him in check in that way. And Ed is just Ed, right? Like, Ed literally just means, it's just Ed, which is great for his character because he's unlike the others. And they highlight that by just, he's just Ed. It's just Ed. He He's like, people consider him, and I don't think people remember that he's actually pretty instrumental in, like, major plot points. Like, when they have him in the elephant graveyard and they're all, like, kind of joking around how they have these lions and they're like cracking jokes he's the one that notices that like nala simba and zazu escape and he like alerts everyone else so he's not just like this idiot hyena he's just like he's just there he's not just a derp he's he's ed (laughs) um i think that like they're and they're also low-key the ones that come up with the plan to kill mufasa like they're the ones that throw that out there and scar is like oh I should kill Mufasa and then I could take the throne. And they're like, Oh, like, Oh, okay. What, what is he sick? Um, so I just think that as far as players in the game, the hyenas are much bigger players than the game than lock, shock and barrel are. I'm moving the hyenas on Kara right back to you. Um, I have to be completely honest. I have not seen the nightmare before Christmas. Oh, no. that, oh. that sounds like a literal nightmare that I don't want to deal with. Um, but I'm familiar with its concept, and I have to say, if we're talking about iconic, iconic Disney henchmen, we have to move the Lion King on. The hyenas are so crucial to the plot. Okay. Fair. I mean... That's just my. Team. <laughs> I mean, I agree that the wildebeest stampede was executed by them. That's a big play. It's a big play. It is a big play. I think, so I think they're such loyal followers, and they're just such classic henchmen that we can't let them pass us by in this bracket. 
Y'all, that means one, two, three, four are going to the final four. Look at it. That's a first. Look at it. All right. So sounds like our first final four matchup is number one, Flotsam and Jessam versus number four, Kronk. So I kind of went against Flotsam and Jetsam in the first round because I felt like the Stabbington brothers were a little bit better developed as characters. And I've gone against characters like Pain and Panic for being a little bit incompetent and not helpful in executing the villain's plan. This is a little bit of a tough matchup for me because Flotsam and Jetsam are not very well-developed characters, and Kronk has failed many times in executing many parts of Yzma's <laughs> plan. I think that's something we haven't really talked about with Kronk. Like, yes, he's a likable character, but he has screwed so many things up. He is the one who mixes the poisons wrong. He's the one who selects the wrong poison and turns him into a llama instead of killing Kuzco. He is the one who like falls down the crevice at one of the later moments of the film when they're like running to get back to the kingdom. Kronk falls into a pit and like they magically appear back at the palace. They're like, how did you get here? He's like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't make sense uh oh god Kronk also is unable to recognize pacha when he sees him in the diner there's that great moment when he's asleep in the tiny tent and he wakes up and he's like oh, the guy in the restaurant <laughs> he didn't pay his bill <laughs> so uh Kronk, definitely not the brightest crane in the box Flotsam and Jetsam, they have a pretty flawless record when it comes to helping Ursula. Other than, like you said before, like they kind of like balk almost in the final showdown when Sebastian like pinches them and Flounder like slaps them. It seems like almost impossible that they could fail in that moment, right? Like they are eels. They are the more fierce creatures in this matchup, right? Between tiny crab and tiny, like, random fish. So I think there's room to criticize both of these characters. Oh, man. I don't really know where to go here. I think I have to go with my gut. And it has to do with the character development. It's the character that we know more about. The character that it's more reasonable for them to listen to the villain and it's just the one that's more enjoyable to watch on screen and for me that's Kronk and I mean I understand that he kind of turns face towards the end he like cuts the cord on the chandelier to theoretically kill Yzma and he gets his own movie in the (laughs) spinoff right (laughs) Uh, he's not a minion in that moment so we can kind of throw that out I guess but Man, I just I'm gonna keep riding the Kronk train. I got I got Kronk going to the finals. I uh no. Mm-mm. I like Kronk's a great character. Don't get me wrong. I love Kronk. Emperor's New Groove is a great movie, and I think it's one of those that like it's gonna become overrated once no. the no, no, new no, no, no. Yes. no, no, no. I think no, it's gonna no. become overrated. No. I think it is. Because it's a great movie, but I don't, like, it's going to soon have its second wind where it's, like, overhyped, and we're going to see it everywhere, and people are going to be like, 
yo, Disney really, like, slapped with this movie. Disney really did it with this one. And it's like, yes, it's a great movie, but, like, it's also, like, simple. It has It's a gag-based movie is what it is. Oh. It is. It's a gag-based movie. Um, Kronk's a great character. I think he's hilarious. I think that the way that they developed him is great because he. it's almost like he has... So none of these minions we that we know of have a life outside of being minions, but, like, Kronk obviously does, right? Like, Kronk obviously goes home and, like, cooks, and he was a Squirrel Scout, and we see that he's actually a Squirrel Scout leader, right? Like, Kronk is, like, this, hu- like, a human being that has the job of being Yzma's minion. I don't think that he is the better minion in this matchup i think that flotsam and jetsam are and i think that they execute everything to a t and then go beyond right they're tasked with making sure that ursula's plan happens and they literally they do it they do it and they even when a curveball is thrown at them like sebastian interfering and setting up this date they are there to think quick on their eel tails and make sure that it does not happen so i think that their ability to have a a plan and a goal in mind and do anything that it takes to make sure that happens makes them the better minions they're also way more terrifying no one's afraid of Kronk. he's obviously like the big muscly guy but no one's like afraid of him you speak two words to him and you're like i love this man i think he's great and so the, it's not a knock against Kronk. He's a great character and a great person in the movie, but he's not the best minion. I'm moving Flotsam and Jetsam on. Kara, you're doing it again. So I have been very loyal to Flotsam and Jetsam this whole time. And I appreciate their eel, creepy minionism. I know that they, they flip the thing, they flip the boat. God damn it. <laughs> but we can't, we can't <laughs> disregard Kronk. Oh, we can't. We can disregard Kronk. We're allowed to. We can't. No. Oh, my gosh. Are we going off of pure, like, evil, manipulative techniques? Or are we going off of, like, likability, loyalty, undying love for their villain? In the end, the villain never wins. So. True. True. Why are we trying to be like, oh, they were... They were sneakier. They but were- it's not at the fault of the minion. The min- like it's the villain never wins, but the minions can still do everything in their power to make sure that they and set Kronk them up. Does, Kronk does does do up. everything. So does Flotsam and Jetsam. Are you joking? But that's not an argument, Kyle. Yeah, it is because Kronk messes it up from the beginning. He does not put Yzma but in not position. intentionally. He's doing the best he can. Man. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He didn't set her up. This is my spot. <laughs> So arguably, like the minions could make a difference between a successful villain and a not successful villain. But as these films show, the villain does not win. So what are we basing this off of? Because Flotsam and Jetsam, like, I mean, they're eels. They can only do so much. Whereas Kronk literally like bends his back over. He compromises his morals. It's true. He does everything for Yzma. Even it pains him. 
even when it's like oh even when you can see he's struggling internally he he always goes back to her because like he's her villain so i think he's more loyal and more undying and more successful and therefore i will kronk has moments of doubts that jessam and flotsam did not well flotsam and jessam literally do give their lives for ursula so exactly they they there's no undying loyalty from them it is dying loyalty Exactly. Is what it is. Yeah, and I think if we're talking about the best minion, like I don't know, the the eels don't. I I just don't think they they don't compare to Kong. I think they're a great contender. They're, no, they're a great contender, but they don't. When it when it's between them and Kong, I have to move Kong forward. Let's go, Kronky baby. All right, let's hop over to the other side. We have number two, Iago versus the three seed hyenas from The Lion King. It's the hyenas. I don't think I, Iago does enough. I mean, he, he puts the plan into motion, but I just, like, I don't care for him. I think that, like, Jafar would be able to figure out these things on his own if it weren't for Iago. I think that Aladdin probably would have just, like ruined the movie himself if it weren't for jafar to begin with because aladdin's an idiot i i just don't like all the points that you brought up in the last episode chris i just didn't see i didn't see him being like a good minion i saw him being pretty annoying hot-headed and just kind of trapped he's not loyal to the very end obviously he tries to run away but neither yeah, are the hyenas. Yeah, and Shenzi Banzai and Ed literally and killed I, the villain. I just said, neither are the hyenas. But Jafar didn't do Iago wrong. And if he did, then Iago probably would have dipped. The hyenas were just doing what they should have done, which is know that they were betrayed and were being used as scapegoats. And so they're like, nah, we're going to, no, you, you can't do that. Like, I respect them for that. Are you joking? Um, the the hyenas are just a lot scarier they're a lot better at enacting these plans iago is so gimmicky come on he disguises himself as a flamingo standing on these like bamboo poles so and good. makes a, so a separate good. mask no absolutely not for me it's it's the hyenas i think that they're just better a better hench group they obviously accomplished the goal of what Scar wanted, which was the throne. They were rewarded, which was with food, and the if like and that that was it. And as long as Scar provided these things that he promised, they were going to stick by his side. And when he didn't towards the end, and when he betrayed them, they took action into their own hands. They're the they're the better minions. I like them better than Iago. I'm moving the hyenas on. I just like the idea that Iago is the ying to Jafar's gang. And every good team in Disney history relies on like the odd couple, right? Lilo and Stitch, Woody and Buzz, all of these dynamic duos. They're people who are different. And Iago and Jafar is a perfect example of that. You have a guy who's calculated and cold and mean and a parrot who is say it like it is i just love that dynamic between the two i think that makes for a great minion villain team 
like, yes, Iago kind of betrays Jafar in the end and flies away in a moment of danger. But man, Shenzi, Benzi, and Ed literally kill their master. I didn't, I wasn't discrediting like, that. They kill him. I wasn't discrediting that. I mean, that is the ultimate disqualification for me. No. Oh my ultimate. god. Are you joking? And ultimate disqualification for them? Iago yeah. does you just brought up that Iago does the same exact thing. How is that not disqualifying him? He doesn't him? kill Jafar though. He, he can't. He's not a sorcerer. He's a parrot that speaks. We don't even know how he's alive in the desert. He flies away. He's like abandoning. That's almost even worse than just taking matters into your own hands. It's like abandoning. Here's the thing. Let's go back to the eye scale. Shenzi, Banzai, and Ed, they fall more in the independent realm. Iago falls more in the instrumental realm. And that's what I'm going back to. Iago is instrumental in helping Jafar. Shenzi, so, Banzai, and Ed, yes, instrumental, yes. but they lean a little bit more independent. So what? I'm going Iago here, man. Oh I'm going Iago. Gosh. Going Iago. Kara, uh, you got the tie-breaking vote. Um, it's a very tough matchup, and I truly see and appreciate both sides, boys, because things are a little hectic and tense right now. <laughs> but I have to say, when it comes down to it, a minion is supposed to be ooh, a minion is supposed to be a devout follower of someone. And while both parties made mistakes, I think in the Lion King they made the biggest mistake, which was killing the person they were supposed to be following. How Let's is go. that a mistake? Let's go. Iago flew away. Had Iago gotten away, he would have been in the same thing. Sorry, is it my turn to talk? No, Kara, it's not. That's what I thought. Um, no, whereas with Iago, like, yes, he's not the best, and does he abandon him? Sure. But, like, abandonment is not as bad as, like, literal killing your master. That's just, I just, I think the choice is obvious to me. Um, think it might cause some concern out there, but I'm going to have to say Iago moves forward. All right, folks, we've got our finals. It's number four, Kronk versus number two, Iago. Kyle Skinner, I hope we can still be friends. Of course. Great. (laughs) This one's really tough because I've got a character who is beloved to me versus one who is not as beloved to me, but is really instrumental in the villain's plot. I think I'm going to go back to something Kara said last round. She said, the villains always fail. And that is an extremely important aspect of Disney movies. That's part of the genre. The villain never gets what they want. So the fact that Kronk is constantly failing, I don't think is a knock against him as a minion. I think the fact that Kronk is trying to help Yzma uphold her plan is all the evidence I need to tell me that he is the better minion than Iago. That's it? That's what you got? I'm, I'm, hang on, hang on, <laughs> hang on, hang on. Yes, Kronk has that moment where he cuts the chandelier down. So there's kind of a moment of betrayal there. Where he wanted but, to kill her? 
he did. But like we said last round, Iago has a moment where he kind of betrays Jafar as he's trying to fly away. That's just <laughs> part of the character arc of a minion in Disney. <laughs> they have a moment where they question just how loyal they are. They have a moment where they question, how did I get here? Why am I here? Do I really need to be here right now? That's part of the genre, right? So I'm eliminating that completely from this matchup. So I'm freeing Kronk and Iago both from that. I know I knocked Sir Hiss for being a yes man in the first round, but Kronk is also like an ultimate yes man. He just does whatever. Yzma's the brains. Kronk is the brawn. I definitely like the relationship that they have because I do think that the villain should be the mastermind. Yes, Iago has some clutch moments where he's like, this is how you should execute your plot. You should marry Jasmine. He comes with the he comes up with the idea. That's great. But I think that's more of a shortcoming on the villain's part than like a standout moment for the minion. So I'm removing that from this argument as well. It's coming down to pure loyalty for me. I'm eliminating the fact that Kronk fails in a lot of the things that he tries to do for Yzma. He's ride or die for Yzma. He's enjoyable to watch. He's everything I need. Going with Croc. In the last matchup, we talked about how loyalty played into this and how the hyenas literally killed Scar and Iago just ran away. Kronk tries to kill Yzma here. And had he been successful, he would have killed Yzma. And Iago doesn't kill Jafar. He just tries to run away. So if we're like... If you're basing it on loyalty, there's a breakdown of loyalty there completely because at the end, he throws loyalty aside and tries to end Yzma and her plan. So he's not loyal to the very end because he tries to kill her. Iago's essentially loyal to the very end because he's there. And then when Jafar gets sucked into the lamp, he's like, no, I'm not trying to live in there and dips. So if, if, if this, if the last one's argument applies to this, which I think it's the same situation, the minion realizes what the evil person is doing, the villain is doing, and tries to end it. Hyenas were successful. Kronk was not. Intentions were still there. Kronk tried to kill Yzma. He's not as loyal as Iago is. I'm moving Iago on as the best Disney minion. Kara, you are deciding who the best minion is in this exact moment i think a lot of this comes down to what we value in a minion and i think i'm just going to take this from a viewer's perspective what i enjoy watching as someone who experiences dizzy and i just have to say I don't know, this is probably not coming as a shock, but like I just can't discredit my guy's Kronk. I just think that Kronk is so your stereotypical undying person. And like, I think every minion has that moment of like, do I want to stick with this person who's doing bad things or do I not? I think the definition of a minion is someone who's like very unsure with what they believe. They're very, they're easily influenced. They're very easily manipulated. So I think that that just comes with the territory. Like they will all eventually have that moment of like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like 
should I turn my back on my villain? Should I not? And I just think overall Kronk was so steadfastly loyal to Yzma. And I just think that overall as a viewer, he was just the most enjoyable to watch. Like he was the funniest. He, he gives you so much to like, when I think of all the Disney movies, I don't immediately think of the two creepy eels. I think of Kronk who's, giving me comedic entertainment and who's like funny and like dumb and in a good way. You know, he, he provides that comic relief that I think the film needs. So all minions have a little comic relief in them. And Kronk is certainly no exception to that rule. If we're going to judge it on that, then a thousand percent, like he needs to be crowned the winner. So it sounds like we need to give a little round of applause to Kronk for being crowned our best Disney minion. Do I agree? Nah. But that's okay. I'm going to clap him out because we broke it down from start to finish in two episodes, and that's exactly what this podcast is all about. How do you think Twitter is going to feel about it? Um, they're going to have some opinions. <laughs> Well, speaking of which, folks, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Mouse Madness. You know how to reach us. Send us a tweet at Mouse Madness Pod. Send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Join our Discord server. Join our Facebook group, both linked in the description of this podcast. Kara, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I hope I was insightful enough to be invited back. Of course. Absolutely. You'll, you'll be back. Who would have thought? That trapdoor would lead me out here. <laughs> Folks, we'll see you in the next episode. Can